On with Hey, y'all. Welcome to the second episode of On One with Angela Rye. For all the newbies, I'm a political commentator who goes hard in the paint, and I rep my hometown to the fullest with my 206 chain given to me by my bestie, Leonetta. Old head, turn down for what? For all my children that are like born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors. All we know is to fight. What a doggone week. Like it's going to require your undivided attention for approximately, you guessed it, 57 minutes. And now, moment in blackness. And now, this week's moment in blackness goes to Sammy Sosa. Mm, mm, mm. Why you so memeable, dog? Like they got you out here as Neapolitan ice cream because you have legit hit every flavor, chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry now? In a recent interview, Sammy Sosa said, It's a bleaching cream that I apply before going to bed and whitens my skin some. It's a cream that I have that I use to soften but has bleached me some. Some? Some? My dude, what? Some was from dark chocolate to chocolate. You are Pink, like straight up pink, like strawberry flavored. Why do you hate your black skin so much, Sammy Sosa? I would laugh, but honestly, this right here is sad as hell. What is even more frustrating to me is that color complex issues exist throughout the diaspora. There are people worldwide, frankly, who run from their blackness. So it's time for us to honor not just the sounds of blackness, but the shades too. And we shouldn't be using bleach and cream, y'all. This won't be the last time we address color complexities on this podcast, but that's all for now because this week is long and I promise y'all 57 minutes. This week's low life goes to... The Senate Republicans, the United States Senate Republicans are failing, y'all. So on May 24th, 2017, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said, I don't know how we get to 50 votes on health care. Then nearly a month later, on June 23rd, four GOP senators said they couldn't vote for the health care bill. So on June 27th, Mitch McConnell said he would delay the health care vote until after the July 4th recess, basically acknowledging what we already know. This health care bill alternative is trash. So, OK, here's the crazy part. Monday, the Senate announced the delay of the health care bill, but you won't even believe why. It turns out that Senator John McCain had to have surgery to remove a blood clot over his left eye. And while we wish the senator a very speedy recovery, can we just pause for a minute to acknowledge the fact that you are all very busy trying to make surgeries like the necessary surgery Senator McCain just had far more difficult for the American people? Can we pause just for a second to acknowledge that your current bill would essentially put people on probation if they ever had a lapse in paying their health care premiums? Can we pause for a second just to acknowledge the fact that the current bill makes health care far more expensive for older folks over 50 who would pay premiums to the tune of five times higher than that of young folks? Oh, and let's pause for a second for the 22 million. In fact, let's take a moment of silence. Yeah, that 22 million, that's the number of folks who will lose health care under the Senate plan. The Senate plan is trash. But thank God for good health care coverage, right, Senator McCain? Because that's what you have. I hope you will come back as the maverick you've traditionally been and join the chorus in telling your colleagues that this bill just ain't it. And now... We've heard news that there are now four holdouts. It was just Susan Collins and Rand Paul, but now Mike Lee and Jerry Moran have also joined in saying that they cannot vote for this health care bill. And the reality of it is that y'all still get the low life because some of you are opposed to the bill or at least undecided for the wrong reasons. The reality of this current situation is that we just need to amend the flat sides of Obamacare. We need to chuck this bill for good. No more delays, just denials. And it's time to fight for health care like it's a right because it is. All the rest of this is nonsense. This week's political highlight. And this week's political highlight goes to House Democrats. I'm going to put the emphasis on Congressman Al Green because I ride out for the Congressional Black Caucus. That's my family. Shout out, though, to Congressman Brad Sherman and to Congressman Al Green 
not to be confused with the singer, for taking the brave first steps towards impeachment. Last Wednesday, Congressman Sherman introduced House Resolution 438, calling for Trump's impeachment for obstruction of justice relating to the Russia investigation and the firing of FBI Director James Comey. Here's Congressman Green, though, first calling for Trump's impeachment in May. I rise today, Mr. Speaker, to call for the impeachment of the President of the United States of America for obstruction of justice. I do not do this for political purposes, Mr. Speaker. I do this because I believe in the great ideals that this country stands for liberty and justice for all. The notion that we should have government of the people, by the people, for the people. I do it because, Mr. Speaker, there is a belief in this country that no one is above the law, and that includes the President of the United States of America. Mr. Speaker, our democracy is at risk. Mr. Speaker, this offense has occurred before our very eyes. It is perspicuous. It is easily to under, easy to understand. Mr. Speaker, we are talking about a president who fired the FBI director who was investigating the president for his connections to Russian involvement in the president's election. Congressman Green is the only co-sponsor on HRS 438 for now. So you all are like, he's going to get impeached? And I'm like, eh, not so fast. Until congressional Republicans find the moral fortitude, the strength to do right by America, we just stuck saying this. Until you do right by me, everything you think about is going to crumble. Until then, the CBC will continue to hold it down as the conscience of the Congress. And for now, also with Brad Sherman. So this week's segment, Conversate, is with three women who I deem as sister friends. (laughs) And um, they are also co-chairs from the Women's March and also women bosses who marched on the NRA, too, to let them know what it really is. I am so happy to be sitting with Carmen Perez, Tamika Mallory, and Linda Sarsour. Thank you so much for being here. Thank We're excited to be on the us. A-Ride podcast. I'm yes. telling you, I'm on one. This is so exciting. I told you um, <laughs> via text, I'm so proud of you. Uh, we know how much work it takes to like get this really going. Carmen and I have been working on a podcast for a year that we've never been able to really get <laughs> off the ground. So to see you do this, is we're really proud of you, sis. Thank yeah. you. And just in general, just proud, proud. Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you. Well, I'm proud of y'all too. And so um, Linda um, tweeted at me that she was excited the podcast was coming. I'm like, girl, good, because I'm going to have you on. And here we are, <laughs> the next episode. And it is uh, some of my my favorite superheroes in the room. Yeah. So um, you all know that I think it's really important that we have a conversation and bring folks who are listening in um, kind of into the conversation. And so what I think is so important is a question that so often is asked of me. And the people are like, how did you get started? You know, mm-hmm. you all, I'm not an activist. People keep putting me in that category. That's not how I would consider consider myself or define myself, but you all really are doing the work of activism. So I want to hear from each of you on how you all got started. Will you go first? Let me see. (laughs) You know, the the word activist is something new for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I was born to change the world. It was, you know, I'm, I'm a miracle baby. I'm the youngest of five and my older siblings are about 14, 15 and 12 years older than me. But so the word activist is is new. Um, I got involved in actually working with people that are formerly incarcerated and incarcerated uh, in my late teens after my sister was uh, killed and buried on my 17th birthday. She wow. was a day and two years older than me. And I felt at that moment that I wanted her or I wanted other young girls to never experience what we both experienced as children or even to have what happened to her happened to anyone else. And so I've dedicated 20 years of my life. This is Carmen, 20 years of my life um, to working with people who are incarcerated, formerly incarcerated women, uh, creating gender responsive programming for young people, 
uh, for girls and women, but I've been in prisons for 20 years. Um, and that's just where my heart is. Um, and that's that I grew up with the victim and offender in my life, the mm-hmm. duality of both. I learned restorative justice from my father who, uh, when was asked, do you want to press charges? He said, no, I can't take another mother's child away. Wow. Um, and so I've had different, you know, I initially started as a youth advocate, working with young people as a case manager, job developer, people that were incarcerated coming out of the system, uh, going into prisons. I've been a basketball coach. And so again, I think, you know, from the time I think about where I am today, I, I, I often think about just being in school by my mentors, like learning from the Harry Belafontes and the Nane Alejandres and the Aida Hurtados and and just being mute, but putting in the work and sleeping on floors and sleeping on benches when I was the national organizing director of the gathering. Now I'm the executive director. And so I think all those years have really prepared me to where I'm at today and being labeled an activist. I always say I'm an organizer. I try to organize and build in community and coalition, Uh, but I'll take the activist. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'll take it. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, for this me, this is Tamika speaking. Th- yes, this is Tamika Mallory. So for me, first of all, my parents were two of Revenal's first members when he started his National Action Network over 25 years ago. Um, so I started out because I had no choice. I never wanted to go to a rally. I thought my parents was like totally whack. It was just like <laughs> people dragging me to something that I didn't want to be involved in at all. I was like looking for like boys, what's popping on the streets, mm-hmm. like, you know, regular stuff that teenage girls are looking to do. And my parents were like, no, well, tomorrow we're going to this rally regarding whatever issue. Um, and and I, I totally despised it. And as I got older, um, you know, we made it a little more fun because we met other young people that their parents were forcing them to go as well. And we started doing little activities together. But it wasn't until my son's father was murdered. My son was just two years old when his father was shot and killed he was left um in a ditch dead for two weeks before his body was discovered Mm -hmm. and um i think for me at that point is it became my movement one because i was really really embarrassed coming from a home with two parents you know all the things that you the the good american black american dream if you will we had it all and to to be first of all pregnant at 18 Mm -hmm. years old and then and the baby daddy gets killed because he's involved in illegal activity. It was like the whole everybody was looking at me like, see, you know, mm-hmm. this we knew that's what was going to happen. And I was so embarrassed. And so as I started to sit down and think like, OK, why was he even there? Like what put him in a situation that now he's dead and I have to raise this baby by myself? I started to understand that his mom um, had been in prison most of his life and was a, a, a perpetual drug abuser. His father, you know, same thing, in and out of jail. He had a lot of social issues that created an environment for what happened to him to happen. And then the worst part about it was I kept getting calls from so many people, family members and others who were like, yeah, you know, Ray Ray died last week. And so, you know, so-and-so's raising their baby alone as well. And it was just the volume of black women who had lost their children's father. It was just too much. And then I said, oh, there's something deeper to this thing. It's not just in a vacuum. It's not just me. There's a whole systemic issue around gun violence and poverty and all these issues. And if I'm going to um, in any way try to, one, save my own son's life and then also, uh, you know, really try to to, to help with some type of legacy around Jason, his father's name, it's going to be in not just saying we got to get the guns out of kids, out of people's hands, but what are the social concerns and how do we work on that? And I started to own the movement from that perspective. And since then, I haven't looked back. Mm-hmm. Love that. Linda, last but certainly not least. Mm-hmm. Y'all might troll us for having Linda, but I will happily take you trolls on. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> Welcome, Linda, my sister. <laughs> Thank Tell us you, about it. Angela. Um, you know, I'm uh, born and raised in Brooklyn. That's the most important part, part of my identity. <laughs> 
grew up in a family, oldest of seven children. My parents are immigrants who came to this country uh, from living under military occupation to seek a better life, a safer life for their children. And I really grew up feeling like I was living the life. You know, I didn't really understand poverty because everybody was just like me around me. I lived in an immigrant community. I went to all black schools. I went to John Jay High School. All 80% of my school was black. Like I just didn't, no one made me ever feel like there was injustice in the world because everyone just lived just like me. And um, until 9-11 happened, as a Muslim New Yorker living in a highly concentrated Muslim community out in South Brooklyn, I saw things I never saw in my life. I was seeing women coming to the mosque crying, saying that uh, law enforcement agents came to their homes and picked up their husbands or their brothers or their sons and not knowing where they went. They wouldn't hear from them from days, no phone calls. And for people who are immigrants who came from police states and regime under living under oppressive regimes to come to a country where that almost followed you here. Like for, for no one believes that in America, someone can just come to your house and strip you of your, of your loved ones. And, and it really moved me. I was really compelled as someone who is from the community. These are, these are my people. Um, so I was a college student and I was hoping to become a high school English teacher. I wanted to be like the Michelle Pfeiffer, dangerous minds. I was going to go like to inner city schools and like inspire these young people. And I started translating for these women trying to connect them to law to lawyers and try to find their um, loved ones. And, and to Tamika's point, I never looked back. I just felt like this was much larger than just my community. Then I went to build like more deep transformative relationships in other communities. And I learned about stop and frisk. And I learned about that the same police department that engages in unwarranted surveillance of Muslims is also engaging in stop and frisk and other, you know, kind of discriminatory police practices against black and brown people. And uh, so I, um, know that people in my community have been silenced for too long since 9-11 and being Muslim is criminal in this country uh, according to some people and just being Palestinian is criminal like we can't just be who we are so I'm trying to be um, un unapologetic for my people I want to lead by example and say you could be who you want to be in this country and being able to build with Carmen and Tamika and show an intersectional movement of leadership of women and what it looks like when we organize and build together mm -hmm. is a threat to those who yeah. oppose us and that is why we are a threat not because we are criminal Criminals, not because we are terrorists, not because we stand for something that other people don't stand for. We stand for justice and equality for all people. And this trio right here is literally a threat to the alt-right and to the right wing. And um, my activism have, hasn't stopped since the very um, first few days after 9-11. Mm, I love that. And I think what's, what's interesting about what you just said, Linda, like it's a threat to the alt-right and to the right wing. And shame on them because this shouldn't be a partisan issue. Like justice should be, you know, a right for every single person, regardless of whatever their political leanings are, regardless of their religion, regardless of their race or their gender. Mm -hmm. That should not be an issue. Um, it's funny, Tamika, because you talked about being raised with activists who were dragging you to rallies. I certainly relate to that narrative. Shout out to my dad who still has a bullhorn in his trunk. I'm <laughs> um, But I also want to talk to you all about... Um, what you, where you just kind of left off, Linda, and that is how you all connected. We know that you all are powerful and there is a lot of intersectionality in here. Um, but I think it's important for people to know how you all got to team up and work together and saw the importance of, you know, if we unite, we're going to be far more powerful than if we continue working in silos on these issues on our own. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so funny. One little part of this story mm -hmm. is the story Linda and I told all the time about how we met. So, you know, we, when working for National Action Network, we had rallies every Saturday, which still happen up in Harlem every Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. And um, whenever there's a big issue, you know, we called in everybody to come and speak. And so Linda used to come to talk about issues, a lot of issues, Black Lives Matter type stuff and what was happening in the Muslim community, political issues. And we would kind of be looking at each other like, yeah, she all right. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I see you. You cool. But I don't know. You know, you think you too cute. You think you, you know how we do. Checking each other out, sizing one another up. So we would say, hey, but there was no real bond mm -hmm. between us. And, 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 and really, they never we never connected well under the umbrella of her working at their Arab American Association and me being at NAN, it wasn't until we met Carmen who will tell her parts of the story because she is the connector. Carmen for us is the big sister that bridges all mm. gaps and that is because I believe the training that she has received her entire life is about love and unity and how to bring people together and, and see the best in folks um, and I think you know Harry B being her mentor 
he brings us all and makes us sit down at the table regardless of how we feel about one another. He's like, I don't really care, but Mm -hmm. y'all have this particular job that has to get done and it needs to happen and all of y'all have to put your brains together. So it is really because of Carmen that all of us are able to work with formerly incarcerated folks. Um, You know, it could be the the big time celebrity. It could be the person who lives on the street corner and somehow we find a place for everybody to fit at the table and everyone's voice is important. Mm -hmm. I love that. Carmen is the bridge, ladies and gents. (laughs) Everybody get you a Carmen. I'm a bridge keeper. I'm the bridge between the youth and the elders, those that have something in those that that's been my training like Tamika said for the past 20 years um I was under the the mentorship of Nane Alejandres who you know we worked in prisons we work with various gangs um I grew up in that culture and and I also know that that's something that Mr. Belafonte brought me on board 13 years to do was to build coalition and to build bridges between communities but it was really in 2013 where I started kind of seeing people in my age group my peer group that had been working for people like Reverend Al Sharpton and um as well as myself, Harry Belafonte. And, and I think, you know, the beautiful thing about working for individuals like that is that, you know, you go through this training and you kind of like are the ones that are mute, you know, because right. we really didn't talk under the leadership right. of these individuals. And I felt like the only way we could win is if we come together and build collective power. We didn't have the financial resources to, you know, organize Uh, the way we wanted to. And so I thought, okay, well, if Linda could come on board and Tamika and all these people bring their talents, then we'll come together like Voltron and really win. Mm -hmm. And we met through Marvin Bing because Mm -hmm. I had gone to Marvin and I said, hey, I'm looking at building a collective of our generation to be the next leaders. And he was like, I'm on board. Let's do it. I went and talked to Angelo Pinto. Angelo Pinto was like, "Mm, I don't really know. Um, But... You know, good luck. Could you hear me now? Yeah, that yeah, stuff was, was kind of like, like, yeah. yeah what is I'm going like, on? What I was is like, the that? static is coming. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then I met Tamika where I really got to build with Tamika. Is we, I know Tamika from Dot, right? And But where I was really able to build with Tamika was when we were at Amnesty International in Chicago and we were both trying to find something to eat. She sat down with me and we talked about working in prison. And I had said to her, this is what I do. I run a program in the detention center. She's like, I have this artist that I'm working with. I want him to get involved. He's formerly incarcerated. I think he'd be perfect. We actually met the next day. And that was my son. Mm-hmm. That was my son. Yeah. And so we just came together and we've been rolling ever since. And like putting stuff on our credit cards, personal money to get to rallies and loving up on one another. And I think that's what has been so important. I mean, even with you, Angela, it's like a text in the, at two o'clock in the morning I just love you like you good like we need that and you know too many people in this movement space are so busy trying to police and correct and I mean, just too much negativity and it really gets in the way of you being able to do your work. And I think what people see, they keep saying you guys do such great work. They don't know that a lot of it is fa- is is really grounded in the fact that we really, really love one another mm-hmm. and we see the best in one another. Even when one of us says or does something that's wrong, the way in which we approach approach each other is just so real. You know, we got a call and just, you know, I'm just putting Kirsten's business in the street, but Kirsten and works at National Action Network um, and and we forgot to include him in something and he hit me up on a text message in Carmen mm-hmm. and said, yo, you know, y'all didn't call me, hurt my feelings, you know, should have been there, whatever. We were supposed to be together and we were like, dang, Kirsten, mm-hmm. we didn't think about it. We apologized, told him how much we loved him. He didn't go on Twitter mm-hmm. and write, you know, hey, y'all didn't call me. He just called the two of us and we apologized and said, we, we, we're we sorry. And that's what love is all about. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you always write. Right. It just means when somebody wants to check you and they should, you do it by sending the person that you love a message and let them know. And if we don't get it right, then we know who to come. We come on on one with you <laughs> and go talk about them like, no. Now you, <laughs> have, you 
ain't gonna do no basketball no. wives on here. No. No. But we we do appreciate the support you give us because even though one of the things that I was saying is that there's this misperception of working for Harry Belafonte that you have access to all these financial resources mm. and we don't, right? And that's why we have to, that's why we see the value in each other, the human value of one another in our space. And so even, you know, there's things that you've done for us, Colin Kaepernick, like, hey, I know y'all are working hard. Mm-hmm. Like Tamika said, Charlemagne. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. you know, Tamika, she's not lying when we would put, you know, there was a time when Linda, like, paid for my nails because she's like, boo-boo, like, y- <laughs> yo, you got it. Like, she's like, you looking crazy. She's like, we're going to go get our nails done. And, and then she got me, but like, you know, our, we 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 roll with the crew, yeah. right? And our crew needs to eat. And if we're going to Flint, you know, there are things that Tamika can provide, and we're putting we're putting things on our own credit card. We just didn't. We are just now getting paid for the work that we do because a lot of it, Justice League is volunteer, and even in the Women's March, we all volunteers, volunteers yeah. mm-hmm. right? Um, and so we try to keep our job. But like, if it wasn't for y'all support, like it would be even more challenging. And that's yes. why we appreciate everybody coming together, and that's mm-hmm. how we're gonna win. I love that. And and I think that's kind of a good segue. And Tamika was kind of going into this now. Um, sometimes we focus our resistance in the wrong places. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we're not, we're resisting mm-hmm. each other instead right. of, you know, resisting an actual threat, like right. a real for real threat, not a perceived yeah. threat because of your insecurities or mm-hmm. your jealousy or envy or whatever. And so if you fo- if you do focus on love, I would love to talk about um, Brittany Packnett. Shout out to Brittany. Yes. Mm-hmm. She has a shirt that says love is resistance. Yes. That's right. So if that is, if that's the foundation, how do you all define resistance given that that should always be the starting place, right? Like how do you define resistance then? Resistance for us right now um, is, is, is an important word to define because it's a reactionary, right? We are in a resistance right now against this fascism administration, but we are actually part of a revolution. Um, mm-hmm. we, we're not new. We're not, we didn't just wake up on um, right. the day after the elections and talking about, oh, we're the members of the resistance. We've been doing this work right. for a long time. So for us, when we talk about the reactive resistance to this administration, it looks intersectional to us. It looks like us. It brings the environmental justice, the racial justice folks together, the maternal justice, the every justice, you know, mm-hmm. together in one place because we in the progressive le- left have a lot to learn um, and we have a lot to learn about what it looks like to organize in a way that builds power together where we lose together and we win together and the Women's March on Washington was an opportunity to demonstrate what an intersectional platform looks like no it doesn't dilute the message no we're just you know going off on a tangent we wanted to show look what happens when you bring everybody Mm -hmm. together guess what happened you organize the largest single day protest in US history and I think we demonstrate what it looks like to center the voices of the most marginalized people which is not something the progressive left has always done I mean when you look at any of the big movements LGBTQ rights uh other kind of issues, you know, gun, you know, ending gun violence, whatever. It's been predominantly led by white folks, oftentimes good white folks who do care about all of us, but knowing the power of centering those that are most marginalized mm-hmm. um, is something that we thought was really important in the Women's March. And, you know, and, and look, the Women's March wasn't perfect, right? Mm-hmm. We know that there are many things we learned um, at the, you know, when, when the Women's March happened, it felt great. Everyone was like, wow, it's the best day of my life. I was so inspired. We were inspired too, but no one was there the seven or eight weeks of the planning to understand the really hard conversations mm-hmm. we had to have about race. You know, we had to talk about race. We're not going to put it to the side and wait till after the march because that was the reason why we were in that situation in the first place and why we were in that situation on November 9th. And thinking about allyship, who are your friends? Who are the people you want to bring to the table? Watching the critiques coming out of folks that we thought loved us, you know, Mm -hmm. that didn't actually understand that we were taking one for the team, that Mm -hmm. there was stuff that we had to go through that nobody would have been able. People would have walked away from that table 20 times and we almost did, but we didn't Mm -hmm. because we wanted to make sure that there was not going to be a movement that went out there or a moment that said it represented us, but when in fact we weren't there. And we made sure that Muslims and black women and trans folks and indigenous folks and whatever folks, you know, we can think of that really needed to be centered um, were centered. So, I say to people, critique us. We welcome that. We want to be better. We want to be better activists. Every day we learn from each other and from the outside. But let's not take each other down because that's yes. what the, that's one thing that I've learned from the all right, from the right wing. 
I don't know about you, but I've never seen a Twitter war between people in the conservative, like in the ultra conservative yeah. right wing. They they may fight. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of them that don't get down, yeah. but you never see them publicly take each other down. But we do that all the time. And I hope what me and Carmen and Tamika represent is true sisterhood and what it looks like. Like when Tamika's getting an award, we out here trying oh, yeah. to who's recording, <laughs> yeah. who's who's got uh, my pocketbook. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to get Linda's stuff. Linda, yeah, like we. Tamika is an 80 year old woman inside her body. She oh, she pocketbook. Yeah, she. <laughs> Totally is pocketbook. She's yes. a totally eighty-year-old woman. Like when one of us is succeeding, we see that as a success for all of us, all, all of us. women yeah. of color. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, that's not how everybody perceives things. So I hope that at least what we can teach young girls, maybe not our generation or the gen- generation above us, but at least younger than us, that you can be powerful together. And that when one sister is high, is achieving more, it's not that we want to know why her. We want to be like, yup. That's She's us. just opening a door for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm about to get there, too. So I hope that's what we represent. So one person who isn't um, here today, but um, Tamika told this awesome story during Essence, um, the Essence Festival. For those of you who may have missed it, you really missed out. And sure they had did. a great awesome. panel, a Women's March panel. Um, and Tamika told this story about um, Janae Ingram, who mm-hmm. was the executive director of the National Action Network after Tamika. And I love this story because um, in spaces where um, I think particularly black women, if they're in the same roles, people are constantly trying to um, not necessarily pitch you against each other, but put you in competition. Mm-hmm. Right? They'll pitch you against or, each other. Or that, right. but but yeah. either way, mm-hmm. there's there's always an unspoken um, competition. And the story that you told about calling Janae being like, yo, I need your help though. Right. Um, I love this story. So I really want you to share it with the listeners. Right. Yeah. Because um, I just think it's dope. Well, I mean, I think, and, and, and it's, I started out telling the story saying, to be 100% truthful, we hadn't even been communicating much, mm-hmm. right? Like, we hadn't been kicking it all the time before this. But when it was time to find somebody who I knew had the necessary uh, skill set to get us not just a permit, but to ensure that, like, the message that we were trying to get across was properly managed and that the people, the the authorities respected us um, going into Washington. I didn't know I wasn't going to call JoJo Nem. You know, I had to call my sister, who I know knows how to do the job. And upon calling, I was like, Janae, this is what's going on. Are you available? And she didn't say, well, let me call you back. Or, well, how come you haven't called me over the last three months or any of that? She just said, I'm down. Like, mm-hmm. I'll do it. I'm mm-hmm. with you, you know. And and to her, um, you know, for Janae, she might feel like, OK, I got a permit. But what was more important is we, you know, we created this agenda because she cares about the issues just like everybody else. I'm not just the event planner. Mm-hmm. But that permit, which made it to the cover of the Washington Post, by mm-hmm. the way, yeah. like no other march. You know, we don't work for all types of men had a march from everywhere to anywhere. And nobody ever talked about a permit. But when women were pulling right. together something like to the magnitude in which we did, the permit was the cover of the Washington Post. And so when we got that permit to us, it really represented back the hell up. We got this. We know what we're doing. We didn't need... We had so many men calling us saying, y'all don't know what y'all are doing. Mm -hmm. We got this. And I was like, never worry. Like, no, we have a sister who is bad as hell in this area. She knows what she's doing and she's going to get it done. And so when we got that permit, for us, it was like the first major win. Mm -hmm. And it gave us that encouragement and inspired us to like keep going. If we get this done, we could do the next thing and the next thing and the Mm -hmm. next thing. And we won and we won and we won. And then 5 million people people showed up all over the world yeah okay so we touched on uh you know some of what you all wish you would have done differently or in some instances what you wish would have happened differently like folks going online to attack rather than engaging in thoughtful loving conversations since love has been a kind of a sub theme today one of the things i think is important too is like the silver lining like what do you guys think um, or what do you ladies think is the, the kind of the biggest blessing? Maybe it was a surprise, you know, that came out of it. Something that you're really proud of. Um, it could be an accomplishment. It could be one of the biggest blessings, one of the best surprises, but just something that's positive about it. I think there's a good mm-hmm. place. And we could start with you, Linda, since you ended the last one. 
I think honestly, like I knew it was going to be big, mm-hmm. but I wasn't really sure what to expect. And I remember when we got there super early in the morning, it was still dark outside. It was like five o'clock in the morning and there was already people there. And wow. that literally gave me goosebumps. I was like, I was like, this don't start till 10 o'clock. What are these people doing Love. here? And then we all went to stand on stage before the program even started. And then you literally saw a very steady stream of people to the point where you could not see the last person all the way down. And I'm not going to lie to you like that. It was one of the most memorable moments of my life. And my family was there. So so here you are, you know, my kids came, my mom was there and like, it, it, I can't tell you that moment. I felt sad, just the fact that we had to even do a march for the reasons why, but I felt so inspired and I felt like for once I was able to really experience the beloved community that Dr. Martin Luther King spoke of. Like mm. we made that happen on that day um, and it was just one of the most beautiful days and I was so grateful to be there with Carmen and Tamika and all of our, you know, colleagues that came out. But that for me was a huge blessing and surprise. I love that. Uh For me, I think that, I don't know, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around January 21st being this big moment and how it translates into a movement. And, you know, I I like to win. Right. Like I like to win. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, there's just just great, you know, philosophical that we won. Mm -hmm. Like and it was amazing, you know, Mm -hmm. because they said we couldn't do it. They Mm -hmm. said it was no way it could happen. Yeah. Nobody's going to be there. We had activists telling people don't go. We had a bit. Somebody actually took the they were smart enough to get women's march on washington.com mm-hmm. and they started a whole page against us wow um using our name and somehow or another we still because it wasn't our work it was god's it work was, mm. like god was like this situation is messed up and we have to be able to show the world that we are not with this like all this tyranny and and or tyranny is what y'all tyranny we know what you mean girl and, yeah, that, and all of this here this drama and oppression it's not okay and so having all those people to come out and then seeing that people since then have continued to be involved. And mm-hmm. we started over 5,000 huddles across the country where folks are still meeting, trying to figure out what they're going to do. Do I believe that they are really ready to put their lives on the line for black and brown bodies? Not yet. <laughs> We're still not there yet. But we darn sure. Can we say damn sure on the podcast? Mm-hmm. Yeah, girl. Yeah, we sure were. Podcast, he ratchet. It's yeah. a fist of ratchet. Do that. <laughs> but it's um we we damn sure are in a better place than where we were. And I'm just I, I I what what I think is amazing, you know, just for me personally and then for us collectively, is is I worked, you know, almost twenty years of my life, um, never believing that we could we could get people to stand and listen to us talk about mass incarceration in those numbers and force white folks to have to deal with racial bias mm-hmm. and their own bias and face moms of the movement and, fa- and, hmm. and right and to face moms of the movement it was this moment where sabrina fulton and i was standing on, on the stage and it was a sea of people coming and we were like wow this is so beautiful and then she looked at me and was like they weren't there for Trayvon like you know hurt hit yeah mm-hmm. and so it's a lot like it's so mixed up there's no clear cut answer to any of the questions because there's so much more to this thing mm-hmm. and history is not about moments it really is about a moment is obviously one part but the movement mm-hmm. component sure. is what is really going to make um make this thing whatever it should be whatever God wants it to be mm-hmm. I have to agree with what both Linda and Tamika are saying. I I have to also really feel joy when we talk about the policy platform Mm -hmm. because Linda and I identified 20 something and Tamika 28 individuals, gender, gender nonconforming trans, you know, women, Muslims, Muslim, everybody, expert expert areas. And, created one of the most radical policy platforms in the history of any march right and that took a lot of time because after they stopped talking about the permit (laughs) when I was speaking to the partners they're like well what are we marching for and even though I wanted to say to them well y'all signed up before we even had a permit before we even had a stage like 
what were you going to show up for yourself? Mm -hmm. But we couldn't say that to them, right? You had to like take the high road and be like, well, you know, I think we could all define the agenda together. And we identified people and we made it happen in, you know, seven to eight weeks. And it's still being used. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm most proud of. I'm proud of so many things. We had great teams that we were working on. So the partnership team, the policy team, the the artist team, everybody. It took, there was four national co-chairs. There were 70 national organizers, 400 state coordinators, and 90 global coordinators. That's so awesome. It was, could you imagine if we all got together and put our collective efforts in one thing, how dope things would be, right? Mm-hmm. And so you didn't need to be an expert organizer or... Most people were not. Right. They had never done They said before. 70%, about 70% people that came out on January 21st had not marched in 20 years or had never marched wow. at all. So people felt something. They mm-hmm. felt connected. And I think seeing us which I would say were ordinary people, extraordinary, ordinary people, right? <laughs> and they could see themselves in us. Sure. Also allowed a lot of young girls to be like, I can do that one day. Mm-hmm. Carmen, where can, so I love what you just said about the policy agenda. And I tend to agree because that's the work that sometimes it feels boring or mm-hmm. it feels like, oh, somebody else can do that. I'm not going to do mm-hmm. that. I'm just going to show up on that one day. Where do people find the policy agenda that you're talking about that folks are still referencing? It's actually on our Women's March website. So Women's March dot com you could see uh it used to be called the points of unity uh-huh. principles and now it's the policy document but it's why i started off saying that we actually hubbed we housed the women's march underneath sure. the gathering for justice because the current principles are our six principles of nonviolence. we we train and study kingian nonviolence, mm-hmm. right we were a lot of the work that we do we march with a purpose our 250 mile march from new york city to dc two years ago uh, was with three federal policies, right? Right. Um, Criminal justice reform policies. And so everything that we do has a meaning, has a purpose. And that's an important note for people to understand that even before, you know, you all referenced 20 plus years of activism, before there was this women's march, you all led this march after the death of Eric Garner. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important for people to know that as well. For And I I think what's also important for people when they want to critique us, which I welcome always, I get critiqued literally every day, um, is that people- nonsense though. Oh yeah, no, and I'm not talking, that that I don't consider critique. I'm talking about people from the movement, but, or even in my family, but, I think people need to look at us in context. I think, um, you know, people saw the Women's March because it was the largest single day protest in U.S. history. Of course, we got a lot of glamour out of it. You know, we got an award and this award and, you know, we're in this magazine, which is all cool. And we are honored every single time. But I hope that people realize that it took us, some of us, 20 years to get to the place of a magazine. Like we didn't just show up one day on January 21st and became some superstars. Right. right? We worked really hard. Instagram models and Snapchatters. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it takes a little moment. And, and mm-hmm. people have been following the storyline. Yeah. Like they saw us on the road. You know, Stephanie Brown James, our other sister, mm-hmm. wrote a post where when I think when we got time 100 or something, she was like, like, I'm happy about this, but I'm kind of mad at the same time because they walked from New York City to Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. Mm-hmm. And nobody we could hardly get any press coverage on that yeah. at all. And so I think people have been watching and it's like, wow, we ignored them so many times <laughs> over and over again, but they won't stop. And they keep getting yeah. bigger and doing bigger stuff. And you know what's been really challenging is the fact that like, like you baby's know, kids. Right. Yeah, they don't die, they multiply. <laughs> Just playing. Y'all mad but, baby kids. But what's been really <laughs> Yeah, I think we are. Um, <laughs> disheartening at times is the fact that we do put our bodies on the line, yeah. right? And we and we still do it running our own organizations. We still do it trying to, you know, uh, work with the most marginalized communities. And then, you know, there was an incident that happened when we were looking at marching from New York City to D.C. We had different host committees in different cities. And, and unfortunately, D.C. was one of the most challenging ones for us. And we were already getting to the point we were marching about 28 days or, or 20, 28 miles a day, 26 to 28 miles a day. And we were getting told we were going to get protested against, against, right. And so again, by, yeah. And it's happening right now. You know, even, even with the, this March um, that happened with the NRA, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are being told that we're, 
you know, it, and it's unfortunate because, again, on top of the personal stuff we got to deal with as human beings and having family members that are impacted by the issue, on top of us running our organizations, on top of the 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 threats from the the right, you know, then you have your own folks that you know d- just don't give in, and you all, you know, you think about the civil rights movement, and I hear Mr. Balafonte talk about um, those that were part of COINTELPRO, yeah, and you think like, is that what's showing up again? Are are those Absolutely. folks really distracting, you know, our ability to come together because they are paid provocateurs? Absolutely. Can we start calling the right the wrong? I know, right? Because right. I hate when when, it, when we say the right, it's like what? It's That's not like an right. oxymoron. It is. It really is. Yeah. But so so on this point though, and I and this I think Carmen, that's a great transition. You all have taken on another issue, and it's not a new issue. We've had a troubled, I think, a very checkered, challenging past with the NRA for years, yeah. right? In communities of color, yeah. um, one of the most valid points that I think we all saw raised after the death of Philando Castile is where is the NRA now right. that this brother was licensed to carry and he still you know was taken out um, even though he wasn't even reaching for his weapon so um, Tamika you know you were personally targeted along with um, Chris Murphy Senator Chris Murphy Gavin Newsom and DeRay um, in this response piece just because you asked them to take this ad down and I think uh, we're going to go ahead and play the ad they use their media to assassinate real news They use their schools to teach children that their president is another Hitler. They use their movie stars and singers and comedy shows and award shows to repeat their narrative over and over again. And then they use their ex-president to endorse the resistance, all to make them march, make them protest, make them scream racism and sexism and xenophobia and homophobia, to smash windows, burn cars, shut down interstates and airports, bully and terrorize the law-abiding, until the only option left is for the police to do their jobs and stop the madness. And when that happens, they'll use it as an excuse for their outrage. The only way we stop this, the only way we save our country and our freedom is to fight this violence of lies with the clenched fist of truth. I'm the National Rifle Association of America, and I'm freedom's safest place. So I just I want you all's response to this and then talk about, you know, what activism looks like um, in the face of the NRA and what else is next. Mm -hmm. You all have done the march. um, Mm -hmm. You know, I tell, and the vigils, but so what else is next? I tell people all the time that, you know, when Dr. King and Congressman John Lewis and SNCC and all those folks were walking across that bridge in Selma, they knew they were going to meet Volcano on the other side, yeah. right? They knew what was going to happen, yeah. and they did it anyhow. And I think that that's where we have to be in this moment, mm-hmm. that those of us who are good are are of good moral conscience must stand up anyhow even when people are threatening us even when people are saying all you know they lie on us they're attacking us they're doing all that but we have a responsibility to stand up anyhow because our children and our children's children will say, what did you do? Like, you just mm-hmm. left us here with this mess and y'all didn't think that you could use all we got Snapchat Instagram, Facebook, we have all the tools that Dr. King and them didn't have and they were still out there connecting and finding ways to do the work. And we've got to use these tools for something other than to talk about the fact that Tiny and T.I. is not together and whoever, whatever other nonsense is going on. There's some serious issues. The NRA basically put out an ad that says kill black and brown people and protesters, anybody that supports them. That's the bottom line. And so we marched against them because it was necessary to say you will not silence us into fear. Mm -hmm. When you tell us to step back, we say fight back. And we are going to step to you um, and and bring awareness to this oppression that exists. The other part I will say, you know, I've been working in the anti-violence space. We talked about my son's father being murdered. um, And I've been working in that space for a very long time. The NRA is also responsible for what is happening in Chicago because they use their powerful 
powerful gun lobby to stop us from being able to get any type of sensible gun laws yeah. passed where there are background checks, where there's anything that would help to stop a, a guy or, or woman who does not make guns in their community. Somehow they're still getting there and people are That's dying right. and right. they are not involved in that. How much money is the NRA donating to anti-violence organizations and violence interrupters who know even before police officers about what incidents may be having who are out there de-escalating and dealing with tension. They're not engaged because they don't care about black and brown lives. And I refuse, and I know we as Women's March and the women who are in this room and you, Angela, and whomever else, we refuse to be a part of the silent majority. We're going to be, even if it's just five of us all the time, standing <laughs> up and speaking truth to power. And, and it's important for folks to know that the NRA is one of the most powerful lobbies in yes. this country. They have elected officials literally in their pocket. Absolutely. And this has never been about gun safety or even their members. This has always been about the gun manufacturers and those sure. who are basically profiting off of the unfortunate violence that's happening. Yes, mostly to black and brown communities, but also the gun violence we see in every community. I mean, we should have been talking about sensible gun laws after little six-year-olds got killed in mm-hmm. Sandy Hook, but we didn't. Or when, or, when 49, or when 49 LGBTQ folks, you know, were, were massacred in, you know, Orlando. Orlando. And I think for us, we have, we, 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 we wanted to march on the NRA to really point out the hypocrisy of an organization that yes. calls itself one of the oldest civil rights organizations. Whose civil rights? White people's civil rights? Because Philando Castile deserved for them to stand up for him and say he was a legal gun owner. He said it. He, we all heard him. Yeah. He told that police officer that he had a firearm and he was a legal gun owner. So, yeah. so for us, it's about bold action in this time. And you know what? If it has to be women leading that effort, then it's mm. just going to have to be us. And we're putting our lives on the line. This ain't easy. We've watched armed militias across the country come to stand in front of the mosque, come to other protests. We've seen them come out with AK-47s at rallies when they brought down Confederate monuments in parts of the South. Like, we are living in a dangerous time, but we can't be silenced. And to remind people also, because we are rooted in Kingian nonviolence and the teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King, but let's remember that Dr. Martin Luther King was called one of the most dangerous men in America yeah. by J. Edgar Hoover, who was the director of the FBI. So we're definitely no Martin Luther Kings, and we wish we were an eighth of the man that he was in the movement that he ran. But we're trying, and we remember that history, and we know that we will be vilified and criminalized now. But one day in, you know, generations from now, someone's going to be like, oh yeah, there were these people. They were all right. They were all right. And they're kind of cute. (laughs) All right now, you better claim it, Carmen. (laughs) So the thing that I think is is good to to probably kind of end here is Congresswoman Waters said on, on the first podcast that she said, I think that this is the resurrection of the women's movement and women are going to lead this. Mm-hmm. And you all are great examples of that leadership. And as tiring as it might be, as frustrating as it might be, know there are a bunch of sisters and brothers out mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. that have y'all's back um, that aren't just praying for you, but are working with you. Oh, yeah. um, and I just, if you guys have just one thing that you would tell people to do, like, where do we go from here? What's next? How do people strategically engage in the resistance? What do we do? Well, I'm just going to take your words and say resist, y'all. Wherever you, <laughs> wherever you are, wherever you're standing, get involved. We know how to find the latest iPhone. We know how to find the latest Jordans. Whatever we care about, we know. Yeah. If it's a concert coming out we know how to get online at three o'clock a.m to put set the alarm to get the tickets we know how to get that great job we know how to do all the things that we're looking to accomplish for our own comfort we also have to be willing to step into this movement because it is not just about the people who are talking it's a like it hits your corner yeah. your mm-hmm. house and so we ask people to go to womensmarch.com follow us directly you know a lot of folks got the shade room and the i mean you know all the good stuff that i follow tell them where to follow you i Tamika. follow i'm just saying i follow all those things no but tell them stuff. where to follow you but follow us also <laughs> at um, at you know, for me, it's at Tamika D. Mallory. I'm just saying, go to Angela Rod's page because every day you post, I don't know where you get this stuff that you put up, like actual transcripts of things happening in courts and whatnot. <laughs> that's that good legal but that's, training. This mm-hmm. is, it's good information. So make sure that you have that on your phone as well. 
So I'll tell people to do three simple things. Um, and I believe that the only way that we're going to protect one another is really to know one another. Like you can't protect your undocumented neighbor or your Muslim neighbor if you don't know your Muslim neighbor, right? And I say to people every, t- every time I'm in a space, I say, go home, knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, this is my name. Here's my number. I got you. Same thing with the people you work with in your company. Sometimes people don't even know who works in their local, like the cubicle, three cubicles down from them. So get to know the people closest to you. The, set th- the second thing I'll say is that we're coming up against, up against the 2018, you know, midterm elections. Yeah. And you know, people will say that's not how we're going to get free. It's part of the puzzle. Right. <laughs> Y'all need to register to vote, register your families to vote. And we got to come out strong in 2018. If you really don't want to be part of the silent majority, the simplest thing you could do is wake up, go walk to the polls and, and, and put that vote in. And I promise you that on the local level, it works. Yeah. yeah. Maybe on the, on the, uh, we're always frustrated with the presidential level. I get it, but I, I've seen it manifested. I mean, we got People like Chakwe Lumumba just mm-hmm. became the mayor of, 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 of Jackson, Mississippi. Like we have a lot of great examples of really good people going in. And the third thing I always tell people is show up yeah. because you're always like, well, I'm just one person. You know, it's not going to matter if I show up to this local rally or this local thing. And I say to myself, what if every person on January 21st was sitting at home be like, nah, you know what? Today I ain't going to show uh. up. We wouldn't have had the largest single day protest in U.S. history. So never underestimate your individual presence at a local rally yes. in your community. Even if you show up for a few minutes, add your body to the resistance. And that's how you add your body. And we can build so much power without an, uh, uh, even a, a drop of violence. And we've seen that how his powerful ha- that has been historically. So show up. Meet your neighbors and vote, vote, vote in 2018. Love it. And I will say three things. I feel knowledge is power. Mm. And I think the way in which we won't repeat history is actually knowing history. Mm-hmm. And I I encourage folks to learn about the Chicano movement, the United Farm Worker movement, the Black Liberation movement, the, you know, learn about SNCC and the American Indian movement and the civil rights movement. I think it's important for us to understand the contribution that others have made to where we are today. Mm-hmm. I will also say, you know, to folks, to the listeners, like, you know, don't wait for something to happen mm-hmm. to you in order for you to get involved. Don't wait yeah. until it impacts you personally or your community. I know a lot of us got involved because it personally impacted us. But, you know, we need to learn how to show up for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we become better citizens, better neighbors, um, as well as suspend your first judgment, you know, and gather more information. You know, don't try to make assumptions about people just based on what you hear on Fox News. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the third thing Amen, is, Carmen. Exactly. Uh, the third News. thing is, um, you know, I want to say to folks, like, don't be ashamed to tell your story. You know, when Tamika was talking, I think about my personal story. And, you know, I used to be embarrassed to say that I had a brother that's formerly incarcerated. I, I was embarrassed to talk about how my sister passed away or how my cousin, you know, got raped and left in a ditch, not in a ditch, in a... In a in a dumpster uh, for two weeks and, and burned, you know, and I think when I was younger, I was just trying to heal by doing the work. And now my words heal mm-hmm. uh, mm. the work. Right. And powerful. so I just yeah. want to encourage people to tell their story and to not be ashamed. And, you know, um, that's the way in which we're going to get free is if we get to know and build with one another and, and really love um, each other the that's way right. we all love. And be listening to mm-hmm. on one. Yeah, listening to on one. <laughs> Even when we talk about the ratchet stuff, Tamika didn't want us to talk about. <laughs> I uh, want to talk about but I, I will show. say this: uh, we call this uh, this is how you conversate on the West Coast, and that is why that is what this segment is called. And there are just uh, not, no three better women mm. um, for you all to hear from. I hope that you will take this type of conversation in with you to your next powwow with your uh, homegirls we are going to strike powwow because that is so derogatory we're going to say something else so take this into your next conversation with your homegirls your homeboys and just keep going I think Mm -hmm. part of resistance is making sure that you're having the conversation you can stay woke but you're really better work woke that's Mm -hmm. right y'all thank you my sister thank you so much congratulations and keep going (laughs) and congratulations and keep going thanks and now this segment is called Ask Angela and I'm going to answer some of the questions that you all have asked me on Twitter or on Facebook and sometimes even on my Instagram so the first question today is when are you going to run for office and I have a harsh reality for you all it ain't happening I'm not running 
for office, I'm running from office. It is not going to happen. I have other gifts, strengths, and callings, and it does not include running for office. What I will promise to do for you all every week, though, um, well, at least in some of the political highlights, is ensure that I'm highlighting someone who is running for office or doing great things already as an elected official. But I will not be running. Okay, the next question is, Is it time for POC, that's people of color, to form its own political party like the Dems and Republicans? My response to this is simple. I think it is time for people of color to recognize the importance of our political power and to ensure that we harness our collective political power to move an agenda. Whether or not that's forming an actual party, I don't know. But I think the most important thing is that we have some time of the year where there are meeting of the minds. One of my favorite historical moments to look back at is the Gary Political Convention. While I wasn't here yet, I love reading about the fact that people came together to say we need to form an agenda and we need to move it. I think it's time definitely for us to come back to something like that. Um, But I think however we choose uh, to mobilize and whatever the vehicle, it doesn't really matter. But the most important thing is that we're moving an agenda, an agenda that is filled with demands and not just asks anymore. So someone asked, do you think Senator Kamala Harris is aligning herself to run for office in the next election? So what I think is that we really could use Kamala Harris in 2020. Uh, I love her. I think that she's strong. I think that she's brilliant. She did some amazing work um, in California as the state attorney general, and she's doing amazing work in the U.S. Senate. Um, For some of the establishment Dems, they probably say it's too early for her, but that's the same thing they said about President Barack Obama. And I think, why not? We could definitely use Kamala Harris, and I hope to have her on the podcast very, very soon. Um, This is going to be my last question for real this time. Uh, There's a three-part question that is career or non-career life lessons or advice you would give millennials. The main thing that I would say to our millennial listeners is that you should do you. Do you the best way you know how. Don't ever let someone tell you that you can't do something. I think one of the worst pieces of advice I've ever received is that you can't be a jack of all trades. You have to be a master of something in particular. Um, And for me, that sounds really boring. And um, I've tried really hard not to follow that. I've tried to learn new things at every stage of my career. Hell, I'm podcasting and I'm 37. So I think that um, the best thing I would tell you is to just try everything that you, you know, desired you know work really hard um, at learning new things regardless of your age you ask for a health care bill update I think you'll check that in the political low life portion of this of today's program and then the third part is my favorite thing it's when is Papa Rye on one and Papa Rye is scheduled to be on one next week he's gonna come on and blow you all away my dad is a walking reality television show and so just get ready to buckle your seatbelts we're gonna have a good time with Papa Rye uh, I thank you all so much for tuning in to on one you can subscribe now on pretty much every platform on Apple on Spotify, on SoundCloud, on Tidal. Definitely hope you'll continue to tune in. Tell your mama, tell your cousins and them to subscribe now. It's so important for you all to keep listening, to keep engaging. Uh, We have a lot going on. There's uh, some scary things happening in the Trump administration. There's some scary things happening out on these streets for just, you know, to just live and survive in this country. As a person of color, as a woman, it could be frustrating. As an immigrant, I can't even imagine what y'all are going through and the fear that we face every day. And so I'll tell you what I told you last week. Until next time, resist, y'all.